Hi, it's Dr. White. Thank you so much for joining me for this episode of the Private Medical Practice Academy. Today, I want to talk about credentialing versus contracting. For some reason, there seems to be a tremendous amount of confusion about these two issues, and I really want to tell you it's very straightforward. So to start with, if you're going to take cash for your service, then you don't need to be either credentialed nor contracted. On the other hand, if you're going to take insurance in any form, regardless of whether you're in network or out of network, you're going to need to be credentialed. So what exactly is being credentialed and essentially what does it get you? Being credentialed is the equivalent of the good housekeeping seal of approval. All it means is that the insurance company recognizes you as being qualified to see their patients. That said, let me be crystal clear. It has absolutely nothing to do with money. It has nothing to do with how much an insurance company is going to be willing to pay you. Now, a couple of things about being credentialed. First of all, it needs to be that you're credentialed where your business is. Some insurance companies have nationwide panels. So if you get credentialed by them, your credentialing is good regardless of where you are in the U.S. Let me tell you that that is incredibly unusual. Usually, you need to be credentialed where your business is. So for example, if you're credentialed in New York by Blue Cross and you move to California, you need to reapply to Blue Cross of California to become credentialed by them. In addition, you need to be aware that some insurers actually have different regions even within a state. So just because you're credentialed in one town does not mean if you move somewhere else that you are necessarily still credentialed. And then as even more of a kicker, even if you're credentialed with one group in a town and you move to another group, you may still need to be recredentialed. So it's really important that you call the insurance company and find out what their credentialing policy is. You've heard me talk about this in other episodes, but credentialing takes time. It takes a lot of time. It can really take three to six months in order to get credentialed. And part of the deal is that you're going to need to have a number of things in place before you even start the credentialing process, like your license, like your hospital privileges, and proof of malpractice insurance. One tip I'll give you about malpractice insurance, obviously, you're not going to be seeing any patients, and yet you need to have proof of malpractice. Most of the malpractice companies will actually give you proof of coverage and not charge you for it because they understand that you need to provide that in order to be credentialed. They're not going to volunteer it, however, unless you ask for it. So how do you get credentialed? Well, first of all, you can use CAQH Pro, which is a free service for physicians. They have really helped to streamline the credentialing process. I'll tell you personally, in the old days, you had to fill out paperwork, mail it in, prove all of your primary verification, and it was a pain. And what's more, you had to do it for each and every insurance company. Now, with CAQH Pro, you can actually submit to multiple insurance companies with uploading one set of documents. I've included in the notes below a list of the documents that you're going to need, but needless to say, this includes your license, your DEA, your CDS, proof of board certification, and then proof of whether you have any malpractice or license sanctions. This should go without saying, but if you can organize those documents ahead of time, it is going to streamline the process and make this much faster. And in all actuality, you're going to need to have the same documentation when you apply for hospital privileges. So if you put it all together in a folder to be able to upload it, you'll save yourself a great deal of time. 
Now, I know you're thinking to yourself, I don't really have time to do all of this work to get credentialed. The truth of the matter is, you have to provide the documentation to whoever's going to do the credentialing for you, regardless of whether you do it yourself using CAQH or whether you outsource it to either your billing company who may do it for free, or if you choose to hire somebody. I totally get that it's time-consuming and not something that you want to do, but it's actually really straightforward and pretty easy. So it's just a matter of how much effort do you want to put into it and how much do you want to pay for somebody else to do it. And then as a friendly reminder, you need to understand that basically credentialing is not retroactive. So if you see a patient before you're credentialed, then basically you're not going to get paid by that insurance company. Now you may be thinking to yourself, that that's not true because Medicare can be retroactive, but understand that Medicare doesn't actually truly credential you the way that the commercial insurances do. So now let's talk about contracting. Basically, contracting is how you're going to get your money. So if you're out of network, you don't need a contract. All you need is to be credentialed. So if you're out of network, you're going to bill whatever you want. The insurance company is going to pay you whatever they want and then you're going to balance bill the patient. So there's really no contractual agreement between you and the insurance company. Now, on the other hand, if you want to be in network, you're going to need to have a contract with that insurance company because basically it's going to dictate how they pay you. Okay, so how do you actually go about getting a contract? Well, the easiest way is you go to the provider relations tab on the insurer's website and request a contract and a full fee schedule. Understand that sometimes they'll send it to you, but sometimes the panel is closed. Well, what does that actually mean? It means that they're not accepting new providers onto their panel as people being in network. If the panel is closed, then you should ask them why and get a time frame for when they expect the panel to be open. Understand that you can still see patients out of network if you are credentialed by that insurance company. So the fact that their panel is closed doesn't mean you can never see their patients. It just means that as long as you're credentialed, you would be seeing them out of network. Understand that getting a contract also takes a tremendous amount of time, easily three to six months, especially if you're going to negotiate back and forth with them. The good news is that many of the insurance companies will allow you to both go through the credentialing and the contracting process simultaneously. I want to take a minute to be really clear here. Credentialing is something that is personal. An individual is credentialed. In comparison, the contract can either be held by the business or by an individual. That said, let's say that the business has only one provider that provider is credentialed, and that provider holds the contract. Now, when you bring on the next provider, you're going to need to have that provider credentialed, and that person will also get a contract. The contract, however, will be the same as the business contract for the original provider, because essentially at that point, it becomes the business's contract, even though the contracts are held individually. Be sure to understand that when you get a contract from an insurer, they're going to include all of their products. So what do I mean by that? Well, an insurance company may offer a POS, a point of service, a PPO plan, and an HMO plan, right? So they're going to give you, in their contracts, rates for each of those. You really can't pick and choose. Most of the insurance companies, it's an all-or-none thing. Now, 
we'll have a separate conversation at another time about how do you deal with not wanting to see some of those patients. But when you sign the contract, you essentially are signing on for all of their products. One of the reasons that is so important is that, for example, a lot of times, we'll give you Blue Cross as an example, the POS may be at 100%, and then the PPO may be at 95% of the POS, and then the HMO may be at 85% of the POS. So you need to understand that the fee schedule that you see is not necessarily what you're going to be getting for all Blue Cross patients. I cannot emphasize enough to you the fact that you need to read your own contracts. You need to understand all of the terms of the contracts and really understand what of the contract is negotiable. Some of the key features include what is the term, meaning how long is the contract for, when is it due to be renewed, how do the rates change? Do they change every year? Do they change based on your renewal dates? And then what are the rates based on? Are they a fraction of Medicare? Are they based on some random other fee schedule? You need to know how they're coming up with those numbers. You need to know how could you possibly terminate this agreement? What are the terms associated with that? And then you really want to understand what you're agreeing to do. For example, like sending all of their patients for labs to, let's say, Quest or to LabCorp. This may be an issue for you if you're looking to start your own lab. The same statement applies to any other ancillary services that you may be considering bringing on in the future. You want to know what you're agreeing to and how do you get out of it before you sign anything. Now, this should be intuitively obvious, but just because they give you a contract does not mean that you have to sign it. The terms are negotiable. Both you and they have the opportunity to agree or disagree, and you can always walk away and say, you know what, I'll just see your patients out of network if you choose to do so. As a caveat, if you're going to negotiate with the insurance company, then you need to have your talking points beforehand, including what makes you different, what's your niche, why should they pay you more? And to that end, I would strongly advise you that you actually try and talk to a human being. The more personal your relationship is with the person in provider relations, the more likely it is that you are going to prevail. Somehow email just doesn't do the same thing. You can do the contracting yourself. You can also hire somebody to negotiate your contracts for you. The thing you have to understand is that it's likely going to cost you $1,500 to $5,000 or more per contract that they negotiate on your behalf. And so in order to determine whether or not you actually want to go the route of hiring somebody to do it for you, you need to understand beforehand how likely is it that they're actually going to get a better rate than the one that you've already been offered. I would tell you that as long as you haven't signed a contract, there is no skin off of your back to try and negotiate the contract on your own first. You can always decide after that whether or not you want to try and hire somebody to negotiate on your behalf. And then the last thing I'm going to talk about is the use of either an IPA, an independent physician association, or an ACO, an accountable care organization. There are a lot of people who think that ACOs and IPAs are useful in terms of helping to negotiate higher physician reimbursement. And certainly there is some benefit 
in some cases, to being bundled with other physician groups. And there are certainly situations in which they can negotiate higher rates. But you need to be very aware of the terms. There is no such thing as free lunch. Understand that these organizations now serve as the middleman. When you join one of these organizations, there is a loss of autonomy because you are now bundled together with a bunch of other physician groups. The other thing is there's a loss of transparency because basically the contracts are not held by you and the relationship is not with the insurance company directly. With the ACOs and IPAs, your relationship is with the middleman and their relationship is with the insurer. That is not to say that you should never join an ACO or an IPA. What I'm telling you is that, like with every other contract, the devil is in the details and you really need to understand how much more money are they going to be able to get you per code versus what are you giving up in exchange for joining them. Thanks for joining me. Be sure to sign up for my newsletter below and I'll be sending you tips on how to start your practice, best run your practice, grow the practice, and then ultimately be able to leverage your medical practice into multiple other businesses. I hope to see you soon.